Good evening and good morning, Los Angeles. Welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. We are on here every Friday at midnight. We are an apologetics ministry where we challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe. My name is Jason Gallagher, and in studio tonight, I have my good friend, Daniel Adrian. How are you doing, Daniel? Great. So happy to be here. And I believe we have a guest caller also online with us. Is Dr. Norga out there? Can you hear us? I think we're trying to get him connected in. Um, let me know from the studio when Eddie gets available. Um, we're going to have Dr. Eddie Norga also joining us online tonight. I just wanted to let you guys know that tonight's show is sponsored by Branch of Hope Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Torrance, California. We are a Orthodox Presbyterian Church. We meet Sundays at nine at ten a.m. in Torrance, California, and we love apologetics. And we have been sponsoring this show for about a year and a half or so. And I'm one of the deacons there. Daniel Adrian here to my left is also one of the deacons, and uh, Dr. Eddie Norga is one of the members there. And one of the things that we do every three to four months at our church is host an apologetics seminar or conference where it's usually an evening of discussion where we have a couple different guest lectures on and then we have a discussion and some question and answer where anyone could come and we could engage in some uh, good dialogue about um, apologetics topics and last week last friday we actually did a conference on ethics and we titled it the knowledge of good and evil and I wanted to go ahead and read some scriptures from Genesis where we get this phrase, the knowledge of good and evil, um, to kind of give us a framework for this conversation tonight. So starting in Genesis 2, verse 15, we read this. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Moving forward to Genesis 3, we read that now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And as we know, Adam went on to eat the fruit along with his wife Eve. And in verse 11, God said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded that you should not eat? And then at the end of chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, we read, Behold, God said, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So this is the framework for this knowledge of good and evil, this basis we have for this conversation of ethics and morality. And that is the conversation that we're going to be having tonight. And we also wanted to bring, obviously, into view this evening, you listeners who are out there, we do this show not primarily for ourselves, but to engage 
with you all out there, and, and we would love for you guys to call and join this conversation. You could reach us at 888-995-KKLA. That's 888-995-5552. And one of the things we're going to do as we have this discussion is try and relate it to things that are applicable to us today. And obviously, we have the big coronavirus happening all around the globe. And I think there's some great questions and aspects that we could bring into this conversation that have to relate to the coronavirus, to our response to it. And, you know, Scripture tells us that we should be ready in season and out of season to preach the gospel, to share the good news. And this is quite definitely a season of some kind, right? A season that we have never really, at least in my lifetime, been through, at least especially with the whole internet and just the global connectedness, right? We are going through this entire coronavirus scare and news and media and so many different things are playing into it. So we want to bring that into the conversation. We'd love for you guys to call us, share your thoughts and, um, you know, concerns about this matter. You know, we'd love to pray with you or just offer any counsel that we can. And, that's part of the reason why we have Dr. Eddie Anorga. Eddie, are you available? Are you with us? I hope so. Nice. All right. I hear you, man. I hear you loud and clear. So, Dr. Eddie Anorga, he's a regular here on this show with us. He goes to Branch of Hope. He is a doctor, and he has been in family practice for, I don't know, 30 years plus, maybe, I'm guessing. And so over this. Over 30 years, yes. Over 30 years. So, this kind of ethics and medicine and this whole coronavirus i think eddie can give us kind of a unique perspective and so we're glad he is with us on the air thanks for staying up late are you swell um, are you self-quarantining dr eddie it, apparently so no i'm here i'm yeah. here with my 91 year old mother praise god it was it was uh my wife uh my wife wanted to go see her grandkids and she could not be deterred amen so the good doc is taking care of his his wonderful mother and um i wanted to talk to you guys you guys are both you know apologists at heart you guys love to defend the faith and you guys are both really smart wise men and so in apologetics you know a lot of it is oftentimes having an argument for god's existence right or knowing the probability of, you know, a cell coming together and, you know, maybe you're trying to show that evolution is not compatible with science or the scriptures, or you're trying to defend the resurrection, or you're trying to defend the reliability of the Bible. That's a lot of, you know, apologetics. And it's often like boils down to like, oh, we have good answers for these questions. But I want to kind of give our listeners this purview of apologetics that it's, it's okay. It's being able to answer these objections and questions, but it's also being able to assess situations like we find ourselves in right now and speak to them from a kingdom perspective, right? So everyday conversations, you know, you hear everyone's talking about the coronavirus. It's a very serious thing, you know, um, but we want to basically be able to engage these things from a kingdom perspective with biblical uh, principles, uh, with faith, with insights and answers. So can you guys comment on how this might have like an apologetic 
angle to it, um, how we kind of navigate through this situation as Christians in our everyday lives. You want to take that one first, Dr. Eddie? Sure. Well, many of our discussions are going to be about what's the right thing to do. And whenever what we should do or what's right to do, what we ought to do comes into play, it becomes an ethical or moral type of decision. And part of what we're going to talk about tonight is how is it that people structure their moral and ethical reasoning? What kind of approaches do people use when they're thinking about ought, should, right and wrong, good, better, best, and those types of things? Excellent. Yeah, yeah. Our, our lovely lead-in talked about the party beginning, and there ain't no party like an apologetics party. But the, joking aside, what we're dealing with is you when you're presenting a defense for the faith, the faith is perennially um, always relevant. And sometimes God shines a brighter light on the relevance of his teachings and of his his religion, if you will, but of Christianity during uh, times such as these. Oftentimes, you know, we, we oftentimes think of revivals uh, happening contemporaneous with, at the same time as, wars, famines, pestilences, or plagues. And there's a reason for that. And it's not just, you know, the whole there are no atheists in foxholes kind of thing. It's It's because people are forced to take a look at their own mortality, to look at their own fragility, the fact that we're, you know, bags of goo easily pierced walking around, you know, we're not very robust or strong compared to other uh, aspects of God's creation. So it's, it can humble you. And of course, humility is required in order to receive the gospel because it's extremely humbling to know that there's no hope outside of Christ. So this is not something that we're suggesting we be opportunistic opportunistic about, but this is something, this is an angle of attack that the world uses, right? How could a God that you think is so great do such a thing? So, I mean, we were preparing uh, at a local location, local location, anyway, nearby, and there were discussions about investing in light of COVID-19 going on. So one of the things that we do, just like we, we may tie it into current political events as well, is we're trying to show that the Bible has something to teach us, that God has truth for us in all areas of life. And apologetics is a big part of that. And historically, some of our listeners will recall, um, we've had an emphasis, we've never shied away from cultural apologetics, and that's a fancy way of talking about what we're talking about right now, right? Mm. We're applying apologetics to things that are particularly salient at this point or pertinent to this point in culture. Right. So let's get into a little bit of the nuts and bolts here and define, you know, do some definitions from the beginning. And so we're talking about ethics. So let's first introduce this term ethics and what it means and just kind of t um, touch on some of the, um, you know, aspects of that. So I will go off and define it from just Google, basically. One definition is ethics are moral principles that govern a person's behavior or the conducting of an activity. At its simplest, ethics is a system of moral principles. Any thoughts, comments on that definition, you guys? 
Dr. Eddie, how does yeah, that, that one strike pretty you? pretty good. Yeah, sounds, sounds pretty, pretty good. good. Okay. How about this? Ethics is concerned with what is good for individuals and society and is also described as moral philosophy. Hmm. Can you tell us what Google has to say about morality just because we keep hitting that M word? Sure. So Google would say morality are principles concerning the distinction between right and wrong or good and bad behavior. And I would say good and evil behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, ethics is... Yeah, some, go ahead. Well, some people divide up the, the areas of ethics and morality mm-hmm. with regards to practice and thought. So, for example... Somebody might say particular actions are morally wrong, and then the, they might give a, a reasoning about why it's wrong. And then eventually you need to give a justification for your reasoning. You, have to, you, you can't have your feet planted in midair. You, you need to give a justification for why you believe that a particular thing is right and wrong. So, for example... Robbing banks. Some people would say, well, that's wrong to do that. And the reason is that you shouldn't steal. And the other reason is that, you know, the justification for why we shouldn't steal would be, well, I don't really like it. Um, so that would be the moral, the ethical, and the meta ethical, the justification for why you believe something is right and wrong. Can I shoot a definition of meta-ethics? Well, shoot. Yeah, probably. let's... Unfortunate. Can I, can I see what you think of this definition? Yeah, let's define that for people. Meta-ethics, that might be a new term for, for some. Is that cool with you? You can tell me what you think, Dr. Eddie, since you uh, brought that one up. Fire away. All right. So what I have, I, th- I thought this one was kind of more simple. It was a little easier, a little more accessible. So tell me what you think. A branch of ethics, so part of ethics, that seeks to understand the nature of ethical properties, evaluations, statements, attitudes, and judgments. One of the four branches of ethics in philosophy. Questions. What is goodness? And how can we tell what is good from what is bad? So they would, they're, they're, what they're positing is that those are both meta-ethical questions. How do you feel about that definition? Um, yeah, it kind of blends over from ethics into meta-ethics. But, um, but you know, the meta-ethics is, is the justification for your ideas about right and wrong. Okay. So everybody has ideas about right and wrong. You might disagree with me about that, and you'll say I'm wrong, and then you, you would need to give a reason or a justification why I'm wrong. And you might say that um, there's no difference between right and wrong, in which case you're disagreeing with me and you're saying that I'm wrong. Um, so it becomes a immediately refutable, self-refuting statement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can get down with that. So, I mean, I'm sorry, go ahead. So... Frequently, matter ethics has to do with your reasoning of justification, how you're how you're deciding that something is right and wrong, or how you're defending the idea that hoarding toilet paper may be wrong. Mm. Yeah, no, I mean it's a weird thing to do. <laughs> yeah, it is, it is. It does seem a little strange. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. But uh, I've got a good idea for a T-shirt. Oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I ran out of toilet paper, so you're better off staying six feet away. Oh, 
<laughs> connecting social distancing to our disgust response. That's pretty good. Uh, I think you could sell that. You should you should zazzle that or whatever, um, teespring yeah. that. But yeah, no, I would say it's important for the listeners to see that, and it, this is almost a case study. This is a modeling of, you know, I'm pretty sure Dr. Eddie, Jason, and I have massive amounts of agreement about this. Uh, maybe even close to 100%. Much more agreement than even we might have with some of our other brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and yet, what we're showing is the need to establish the fact that we're talking about the same stuff. So I'm, I'm if you want to use the technical term, what you might hear it in, in when you study this stuff, I'm stipulating to the definition he gave on metaethics. I'm perfectly fine with focusing on that being a, a justification for what you do in terms of ethics or how you think about ethics. And it also points to the problem of philosophers really like to split things up into lots and lots of categories. You know, you always have all this jargon. So we're not trying to have jargon, but we are trying to make sure that we're speaking the same language as it were. Yes, Jason? Oh, nothing. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so with this, with this, you know, I don't know if Dr. Eddie, you wanted to you kind of pointed to those three things. Did you were you building towards something, and we interrupted? We, I interrupted you by asking for that definition, or like how would you? No, that's good. Uh, good conversation. Okay. Good conversation. So yeah, I think that's one way. Just you know, one way of, of of thinking about this. A lot of people like to blend ethics and morality together. Some people. You know, some people are lumpers and some people people are separators. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they, they'll look at moral morality as your actions, ethics as your um, your your thinking, and finally your justification as meta ethics. So that's just one way one way of, of doing that. So you might say, you know, um, you should, uh, uh, you know. You shouldn't kick your neighbor's dog. You know, the reason is you should love your neighbor and your, your neighbor's dog is part of that. And the reason you should love your neighbor is because uh, uh, some law says that you should love your neighbor. Mm. Some authority, some ultimate authority says that. So not kicking your neighbor's dog would be the morality portion of it. And then ethic the ethic would be that you should love your neighbor and then the meta meta ethic should would be that law that tells us that we should love our neighbor would that be right it? so one way of looking at it is is ethics are the principles you know when we think about ethics we think of the principle that applies we should not steal we should love our neighbor and then what does that look like in real life that would be kind of like the applied ethics or morality, you know, the action, and then the justification would be your reasoning. Now, people are just great at their morality, at the way that they think about, and they're, re they're ready to tell you what's right and wrong, and they're ready to tell you the principles. But as you start to get into the meta-ethical meta world with regards to, well, why do you believe that you shouldn't do those things? And it brings us back to this whole idea of worldview, that everybody ultimately has a worldview, and they make faith-based commitments about what exists, what's right and wrong, and their justification of those things. So it's like, how do you know it's wrong to 
engage in a particular activity, that they, they have some faith-based commitment about that. Okay. Yeah, so I would see that as, I mean, I certainly can roll with that. And so what I would see that as, you're already kind of um, setting the table for where we're going, I believe, in that you're talking about uh, these people have, they, they trust in these things that they've established as their own rules now, or that they've received as rules from the society, the culture, their parents, somewhere. So there's a trust, there's a faith-based commitment, there's a trusting commitment in whatever that is. And then you also pointed towards the fact that there's a problem of authority, we might call it. There is some hidden, either covert or right-in-your-face authority. For example, many people will say they receive their, their ethics or their morality from We'll go with ethics, sorry, <laughs> and potentially their meta-ethical justifications for their ethics from their parents. Well, that's mm -hmm. that's a direct appeal to authority. Now, you might have great parents, and I pray you did or you do, but your parents are not a grounding for what is right, what is wrong, because the only question you need to ask someone who says it's their parents is, well, did your parents ever violate their ethical commitments? Did your parents ever fail to live up to them or, you know, speak out of mm -hmm. two sides of their mouths regarding an issue, right? Be, mm -hmm. be a, a double-minded, double-tongued hypocrite. And of course, we're all fallen, as we just uh, heard from the Word of God. So that's not going to be a good enough source of authority. Right. So touching a little bit on these standards or authorities that people use to justify their thoughts and actions or behavior. Um, yeah, one of them can be parents, right? They might appeal to their parents, their upbringing, how they were raised, and so on. Um, another, another standard or authority that people might appeal to is um, the majority, you know, the culture, the society. How would, how would you guys, how do we go about, like you just showed how we would go about kind of deconstructing that person's claim uh, for their ethical standard? their parents, right? Well, have they ever been wrong? If someone appeals to a um, cultural kind of majority rule perspective on ethics, you know, that's where I get my ethics from. Um, how would you guys go about deconstructing that sort of argument? Dr. Eddie? Has the majority ever been wrong? <laughs> <laughs> so you could, yes, yeah, so you could that's kind of boil it simple. down to, you could really boil it down to really... Uh, about every election cycle. <laughs> almost every, yeah. You know, have they ever been wrong? Right? Depends on what state you live in, too. No. <laughs> so let's 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 flip the tables a little bit. Let's flip the tables a little bit and it's, say that we are. What what standard are we appealing to? Right. Well, and the best part is, I think well, we're, I think we're already at Godwin's Law. Is that the name of it? Right. And this is going out online, so we've already hit. You immediately go to if someone is actually. Um, misguided enough, I was trying to be very charitable about this, to, mm -hmm. to go with a majoritarian argument for morality or ethics, you say, well, okay, what, obviously your morality would conflict with the reigning moral and ethical orthodoxy of Nazi Germany. I don't think, I don't think you would blithely go along with the Nazi ethic or the Nazi you know, code of conduct. And of course, they like to believe that they would have been a hero at the time. And everybody talks about time traveling and killing Hitler. No one ever says, yeah, I may have fallen prey to their ideology. Da, 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 da. Right. So that's an instance, a clear instance where majoritarianism doesn't work. Right. So, so people might be able to make that 
admission, right? They might say, oh, yeah, okay, so yeah, they did get it wrong. But So even when they're admitting that societies can get it wrong, they themselves are actually appealing to some other standard, right? So they're still bringing in a a standard of right and wrong. So what do you want to do to press them on that? Yeah, you want to try to dig down and and our pastor has modeled this quite well recently actually, but you want to dig down and try to get where's that hidden authority, right? Mm-hmm. So okay, first you maybe they were honestly thinking, I'm not presuming to know what their intention was, but maybe they really thought it was society. Then you showed them, well, it's not really society. Maybe we already took them past past their parents being the source, right? Well, a lot of people will ultimately say, well, I guess I'm the, the thing that's in common is I'm standing in judgment over these things. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm the one who's deciding whether the society is right in a certain circumstance. And they might admit this or you can hold their hand and, and lead them to this conclusion, help them get there. And then, of course, you ask, well, what about you? Have you been wrong about these things? Have you ever made an, an error in ethical reasoning or judgment? Of course, if they're honest, they will say yes. So again, you have the same or at least an analogous problem of authority. Mm-hmm. No one, ourselves are not good authorities. For starters, a lot of us don't even spend a lot of time thinking about an ethical framework. A lot of it's implicit. It's built up over time. You just kind of, you know, you've ever, you've ever met these people where their, their decision-making process seems to vary from circumstance to circumstance. Mm-hmm. They have one set of ethics, it seems, in the workplace and one at home. I mean, obviously, this is not someone who's carefully reasoned their way through how to make decisions about what is good and what is evil. Yeah, so those are great points. And another thing, so when someone sees, okay, maybe they're not the standard either— one standard that I think is getting more and more, you know, support or more people are saying this today is that empathy is the ethic, right? And so they'd appeal to that. They would say, well, uh, you know, we want to treat people the way we would want to be treated and so on and so forth. And, and we should have an empathetic kind of compassionate ethic kind of guiding. So that's why Hitler was wrong, right? Because it's empathy. So they place empathy up there as the authority. So maybe we could touch on that a little bit after the break. Uh, Dr. Norga, are you able to hang with us over the break for the next half hour? Yes, sir. All right. Well, we will be right back. We're listening to the Apologetics.com radio show. Thanks for hanging with us. comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Everyone has ideas about God. Unfortunately, many people hold false ideas about Him, and these ideas have consequences. Some false ideas have led people to worship a God of their own making, while others have led people to reject God altogether. This year, we've devoted an entire conference to answering the most common false ideas about God. Is God anti-gay? Is God good? Do Muslims and Christians worship the same God? These are just a few of the topics we'll be addressing. The only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. We're at war. It's not a war of bombs and bayonets. It's not a war against flesh and blood. In fact, it's not a physical war at all. It's a spiritual war. That's why Paul instructs us to put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. 
The devil's primary scheme is deception. He wants us to believe false ideas about God. And the only way to guard against false ideas is to fill our minds with true ideas. Simply put, we combat deception with truth. It's unfathomable to imagine sending young men and women off to fight a physical war without proper training. Yet, when it comes to spiritual warfare, we do this all the time. The vast majority of our students are simply not prepared for the spiritual battle that awaits them. At this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences, we're training students to counter the lies of the enemy. Lies like God does not exist, God is anti-gay, Muslims and Christians worship the same God are just a few of the false ideas we'll be addressing. So join me and a number of other speakers at one of this year's Rethink Apologetic Student Conferences. Find out more information about Rethink by going to RethinkApologetics.com. That's RethinkApologetics.com. The mission of Apologetics.com is to challenge believers to think and thinkers to believe on the radio, on the internet, and now in the Life of the Mind conferences. If you believe in the work that Apologetics.com is doing, we encourage you to support us with your prayers and also with your tax-deductible gift so that this ministry will continue on the air, on the web, and in events near you. Gifts of any amount are appreciated, and it's very simple to participate. Just go to Apologetics.com and click Donate. It's safe and secure. Or you can send your check or money order to Apologetics.com, 1900 Southwestern Avenue, San Pedro, California, 90732. Thank you for supporting Apologetics.com. All right, let's get back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Apologetics.com radio show. Thanks for hanging with us. My name is Jason Gallagher. I'm in studio with Daniel Adrian, and we got the good doctor, Eddie Norga, on the phone with us. We've been talking about uh, the knowledge of good and evil, how it relates to ethics, and a little bit about the coronavirus. Um, since Dr. Eddie is with us tonight, he could help us kind of get a good perspective on that. And so we kind of laid some some frameworks for ethics, uh, morality, talking about different standards that people appeal to in making ethical decisions and how we might ask some good questions in order to deconstruct those uh, frameworks or their appeals to authorities. And right before the break, you know, one thing, so we, we kind of walked through, okay, People appeal to their parents as their ethical standard and how you can kind of show that that's fallible or how they appeal to a culture or a society. And we kind of got to this question of whether or not empathy can be the ethical standard. So I wanted to give Dr. Eddie kind of a stab at that question. What do you think? Can empathy be the standard for ethics and morality? Well, it's a, it's a good starting point with regards to how we would begin to think about others and how our feelings might, our feelings about certain situations doing to others as how, how we would want, want things done to us. I think I've heard that somewhere. I think it's actually in the Bible somewhere. <laughs> um, but the question becomes, by what standard? Um, right. And... And and so that that's where the whole problem begins to break down. And so, right. if uh, say I'm a drug addict, I may want 
somebody to give me drugs, and I would think that the good thing to do would be to go out and give drugs to other people. Uh, so my standard is, my my perspective is that that uh, that that giving drugs is a good thing, and so mm. my justification might be because I yearn for them, and I would imagine that others must yearn for them. So I'm justified in going over to my neighbor's house and um, giving them that same yearning. Um, so that might mm-hmm. be a, a problem with that way of approaching it. You can use all kinds of different examples for you, know, you could use sexual things. You could use any other number of desires, which kind of brings us to a, another issue is this kind of this, this struggle between duty and desire. So right now, we're, we're in a conflict. We may be experiencing conflicts between our desires. I may desire to go to a NCAA basketball game, but right now I have a duty not to because we have this other problem of a goal. We have this goal of not being, uh, not passing around this virus. So mm. I have to put aside my desires and perhaps do something that I don't want to do, like stay at home and read, and um, in order to achieve a goal. So that duties, desires, and goals are different ways that people think about their ethics. Um, that that okay. one way of looking at it is subjectivism and objectivism. Uh, that 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 my right. personal desires, emotions, that those are the guides about what's right and wrong. Why did he do that? Well, it felt like the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and Or a duty might be, well, why did you do that? Well, I, I felt, I thought that I ought to, or I have a, some duty to do that. Right. So you're kinda, you've kind of exposed the idea that even empathy as a standard, can be a subjective standard, right? So empathy might be a good basis for ethics if that empathy is defined by the right authority, right? So empathy as defined by, you know, like you said, the drug addict or, you know, whoever can wind up being a faulty ethic and it could lead to harm, you know, for your neighbor rather than love for your neighbor, yeah, I think there are three big-time problems with empathy if it's not properly defined, which is what you were kind of pointing towards. Mm-hmm. One is the problem of subjectivism, my empathy versus another individual's empathy. How do we determine between the two? Mm-hmm. Another problem would be if it's purely emotional, well, then we can feel all kinds of different ways that are not in accord with our reason. If you try to make it a marriage between uh, emotion and reason or you try to say it's all reason – then the the refutation that might be sounding familiar to some of our audience and maybe some are very familiar with this is all of those will fail at some point. Mm -hmm. You can feel the wrong way about something uh, in terms of your emotions can lead you to a wrong action or a wrong decision. You can certainly fail to reason your way through something. And sometimes our, our mistaken reasoning gets in the way of the proper expression of our emotions, or more commonly, I think what we're used to thinking about is our emotions compromise our ability to make the right decision. Mm-hmm. So, and all of those can again be filed under the heading of subjectivism if they connect to only one individual. So, what we're looking for is 
as I said, I certainly don't want to sound like I'm speaking against empathy, but we're looking for empathy defined in terms of what it means to love our neighbors as ourselves, where the content of that is in the word of God, right? So we, we learn how to love ourselves aright or rightly or the correct way. And we learn how to love our neighbors the right way because of what the, what the one true and living God has revealed of himself in his word. So let's get to that standard. So we've kind of shown faulty standards, faulty appeals to authority. Um, These, you know, if you're, if you're appealing to the wrong standard, you will ultimately wind up in some sort of subjective, um, you know, self-refuting type of situation. But scripture, I'll go to Matthew chapter 22, for example, which says this, verse, starting in verse um, 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, Jesus, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So kind of the next question for discussion here is how are the Ten Commandments, you know, right here they're they're summed up. On these two commandments, loving God, loving neighbor, hang all the law and the prophets. So how are the Ten Commandments, specifically, related to the question or pursuit of ethics and morality? Gentlemen. Well, well, certainly, you know, based in those are the principles. Okay. These are the principles. And then then it's also introducing the foundation for the principles, you know, that we would love God. And the the, the commandments are divided up in our commandments that relate to God. And then it follows from if we love God, then we would want to keep his commandments. And so, so his commandments have to do with our relationship with God and our relationship with each other. And our relationship with each other is, is based on God's standard, you know, that we would follow God's commands. And it's curiously that, that the, the, these commands are summarized as to love God and love your neighbor, which brings us to this idea that love itself has a standard. Mm-hmm. There are some things that someone would say are loving, and you would have to say, well, by what standard? Right. You what? Know, by what standard is it that you love somebody? You know, how, how right. do you know that you're actually loving somebody? If it's just sure. my desires, um, you know, somebody might be saying, yeah, I really love them. That's why I keep them in a basement in my house, and I don't let them leave. Mm-hmm. Well, love yeah, is love, they, right? They they really love them, but you know, then you have to say, well, that doesn't seem right. There's there's got to be something wrong with that particular aspect of love. Um, but what so, about what so about love the love? Ultimately, has to have a goal, and it has to have some standard to appeal. So, you know, in, in the Bible, again, later on in in First uh, John, it says, "For this is the love of God that you would keep His commandments." Mm-hmm. So that God's love. Has an or has a has a, an ethical backbone that there's some standard by which we know how to love our neighbor. Right, and love is a popular one today. You know, people, you know, this slogan "Love is love" is used 
quite commonly to um, to kind of bolster, you know, the you know sexual ethic of today that is that is so popular. You know, they just say love is love, right? So, um, you know, it's interesting that you bring that up. And you know, one thing one thing a good friend of mine once said is that love, proper love, is wanting your neighbor, love for your neighbor is wanting your neighbor to stand rightly before God, right? And I think that's... I've a, heard that before. Yeah. I, th- <laughs> I think you told me that. Um, yeah. And so if, if, if your definition of loving someone is actually causing them to do something that is contrary, again, we're going back to the standard, right? God's standard, right? The commandments. Um, you have the first four which is our relationship to God. The last six is our relationship to, to our neighbor. You know, you should not commit adultery. You should not steal. You should not murder. If your love, your definition of love is causing someone to break the commandments, right? Whether it's through committing adultery or some other, say, sexual sin, um, then you're not truly loving them, right? You're actually harming them. And so you have to have common ground if you're ever, if you're even going to have like meaningful conversations with people, right? Like what is, what is true love? You know, what is um, the right way to love people? And Um, a lot of people fail to understand that only Christianity provides you with the key to understanding this, which is that God is love. mm -hmm. I mean, there are not many statements following God is, or the Lord is, right? So Mm -hmm. we, we need to pay careful attention. There's a reason why we do focus on love as much as we do. We, we, we've heard allusions, we've heard uh, citations of this word coming up. It's quite often used in the Bible, mm-hmm. that word love. And uh, there's a very real sense in which if we're doing something contrary to how God has revealed we are to be loving, we're actually hating the person. And that might mm-hmm. be hard for some of our audience to get used to that notion, but if maybe if I put it a different way, if God calls something good and you do the opposite of it, you're actually doing evil. So maybe that can connect to uh, how we how we're trying to have our thoughts about love and our beliefs about love and our actions regarding love shaped by, informed by, and sourced from mm. the Word of God. Amen. Right, and then we need to ask also the question as well, why God? And and part of the problem has to do with our own lim- human limitations, that as humans, we have limitations with regards to our knowledge of the past, our knowledge of the future, and what would be actually best at the particular moment. And so we frequently need to, to um, appeal to a transcendent authority, and we've already identified some of those. Well, we might say it's the majority, or we might say that it's the government, or we might say it's the guru. We might say it's um, it's the movie star, that mm-hmm. they're the ones that know. Uh, so we may appeal to a variety of different standards. And then we have to ask, well, why is that standard your justification? By what basis does the guru know what's right and wrong, or by what basis does the government know what's right and wrong? We've already seen how the government can fail with its knowledge of good and evil, Mm -hmm. and it frequently does. As a matter of fact, if you look at most of history and even most of the world right now, the government does fail in its knowledge and justification of good and evil, even though it's 
trying to, or maybe it's not even trying to. So, um, so when we when we're thinking about these things, we always got to dig a little deeper and try and find the authority and recognize that that authority has its limitations. So we're looking for a transcendent authority. And then the discussion comes to, well, then is the Bible a transcendent authority? Is God's word a transcendent authority? Which is something we talked about on another show. But, you know, the Bible demonstrates its transcendence in a variety of ways and that Mm -hmm. in its unity, in its sense that it sends an integrated message, although it's written by um, 40-some authors over a 1,500-year period, it sends an integrated message Mm -hmm. that um, it knows things and expresses knowledge of such things before humans have, have understood and discovered the knowledge of those things. Like, for example... In, Levit- um, in Leviticus, it talks about isolating yourself mm. and going through a cleansing process if you come in contact with a discharge. Well, it wasn't this is a good transition that humans did that. Uh, so that's this this knowledge or understanding of things before they have been understood. Mm. One of the other things is prophecy. You know that uh, that in Deuteronomy, it, it talks about if a prophet comes and says something, it doesn't come to pass, you'll know that it wasn't from God. Uh, and so God himself says, you know, one of the reasons that you can trust me is I'm the one that declares the end from the beginning, and I'm the one that's going to tell you the things that will happen before they happen. And the Bible is chock full of prophecy. Amen. I, I wanted to touch on what you just mentioned doctor is this whole idea of you know quarantining right the bible talked about this years ago thousands of years ago you know you could read all about it in kings or leviticus you know talks about leprous diseases you know these people were kind of supposed to be isolated from the community for you know some period of time a week two weeks you know for some cleansing to occur so that you don't and then once you've seen that that disease has kind of gone away, the skin has changed a certain color, then you know that that disease is no longer contagious and you can come back and things like that. Obviously, one thing we're going through right now is the coronavirus. And I've been negligent again to give the number out, but it's the second half of our show. If you want to call in, we're going to be touching on the ethics and kind of, um, you know, relating to the coronavirus and maybe some medical and healthcare related questions now. Um, but you can call us in at triple eight nine nine five KKLA. That's triple eight nine nine five 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 two. So, um, you know, what do you guys think about this entire um, thing? So, if if the Bible tells us that you should isolate yourself when you're um, going through some sort of uh, contagious disease, that would probably be a good thing to do, right? That would be an ethical thing, right? It's in Scripture. It's kind of prescribed. Um, and, you know, there's another question that comes up as a doctor. You know, you're, you're a doctor, Eddie, and you have to treat patients. That's something that you've decided to do uh, for a living. You know, you felt called to do that. Um, and so there's this question of ethical duties, right? Is it your duty to be there and treat people and put yourself at risk of, of disease. Um, so what do you, what do you think about some of those questions? You know, is quarantining, if the, if the president were to call a a national quarantine, you know, kind of like they've done in Italy or something, is that a good thing? Is that a good ethical, uh, 
um, thing to do during a time like this where there's, um, you know, a dangerous virus spreading? That's a great example because there's, in this is, you know, this, I, I brought up this idea of duties, desires, and goals. So mm-hmm. the goal is that we would stop the spread of the disease. So in order to achieve that goal, we would, uh, we would say, well, there are certain duties that come with that, and then those duties need to interact with our desires. So if our desire is or our goal is to stop the spread of disease or to stop suffering, then we would have certain duties that we would have to fill in, and that might entail that certain people would isolate themselves and certain people would need to go into the fire, for example. You know, so, you know, firemen have this crazy thing that, you know, they run towards the fire. You know, everybody's trying to run away from the fire, but firemen have this goal, this purpose, this desire in life to fight fires. So they, they go the opposite way. You know, they go, mm-hmm. they go towards the fire when everybody's running away from the fire. And certainly we all have our duties. Um, a lot of what are, what's right and wrong has to be somewhat situated. So what's right for a doctor to do is different than what's right for a fireman to do. It's different what's right for an engineer to do in the areas of their expertise and practice. So I wouldn't expect uh, an engineer to do the same things as a doctor would, just as you probably wouldn't expect me to understand and know what to do when I'm designing a machine for a car. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I, I just, you know, my medical sure. skills just don't overlap into that area. Yeah. So as an engineer so, who's designing an automobile, you have a duty or res- ethical duty or responsibility to design that vehicle in such a way that it's not going to harm those who intend to use it, for example. And that duty right. would and line up with gonna... scripture in terms of, you know, loving, loving your neighbor so to speak. Exactly, exactly. So in this coronavirus thing, some of the duties that we have to, you know, stay this social distancing that we would stay, try and stay six feet away from each other, that we would wash our hands, uh, that if we start to develop symptoms that we would isolate uh, and those types of things, that those, you know, those are all duties, but they're all pointed at a goal. You know that there's a goal that's that that they're pointing that is to spread to, to to slow down the spread of this disease, mm-hmm. and and that that would be the goal. And and many people they would feel good about that. Mm-hmm. You know they would say, well, you know this higher calling of of stopping the spread of disease is more important than my desire, you know, to be at a bar drinking beer with a bunch of friends. Mm which right now might not be such a good idea. Um, yeah. So. I, would, I would simply kind of highlight something that was said in terms of calling. This is where mm. historically what we've known is that true believers, as far as we can tell in terms of by their actions, obviously only God knows their hearts. But one of the ways that really laid a, a very forceful and clear and brilliant testimony of their saving faith in Jesus Christ at least from outward appearances again, was uh, the Christian pastors and the Christian doctors would be the last to leave. 
in a situation, you know, even graver than this. So in a situation of plague where essentially to be around these people was, was a death sentence. Mm -hmm. So you have, you know, these arc, these, um, these ancients, these quote unquote primitive, not in a mean sense, but these old timey physicians and you know, why would you stay? Why would you stay? And they immediately said, well, because you know, Jesus came to save me from my sins and he saved, he's rescued me from hell. The least I can do to show gratitude to him is to minister to you in his name, mm. you know, and not tell you to be warm and well-fed to <laughs> allude to another passage and go on their way. Uh, and this was true of the pastors as well. You would have outwardly professing clergy, sadly, who would leave. This has happened historically. And mm. of course, they're, when they came back, the community didn't trust them. So when the because right, you know, right. they left, it's right, like you right. should be ministering to they, me. At it's my like a death. firefighter not running into the fire. It is very right. much like that, yes. Mm -hmm. And so, I want to highlight that this is this is why you really want in your hour of need, you really want that Christian firefighter. You really want that Christian pastor, obviously, uh, for our ultimate need, which is of Christ. And you want that Christian, that true Christian doctor. Because mm -hmm. the Christian doctor is not going to be doing these consequentialist calculations. Well, you know, I've made some good money, maybe, you know, because it's not a calling, right? I'm not saying there aren't non-Christian doctors who feel called to what they're doing. But what I am saying is there is no ultimate foundation to them risking their own life mm. or potentially their family's life. That requires a Jesus ethic, an ethic of love that you only find mm -hmm. in the scripture. So in our last few minutes, you guys, we're probably down to three minutes or so. Um, can you guys kind of summarize and tell our listeners, how does this ethics, knowledge of good and evil, um, relate to sharing the gospel, bringing the good news of the kingdom to people? How do we get there? Well, apologetics, apologetics is trying to lead people to the truth. It's onto mm -hmm. the truth. And... Um, and, and whenever we engage in a discussion about right and wrong, what's good, what's better, it's a it's an ethical discussion, and we we like to help people understand and help people do what's right, and help them understand not just to do what's right, but to understand why it's right. And so this is part of our leading people unto the truth. So that's that's kind of the goal of apologetics, and the starting point frequently it might be well. So-and-so believes that this is right, and it's like, well, that's good, but why is it right? And that we would press towards having people understand the justification for their knowledge of good and evil. Okay. Yeah, I, I, that's great, and I would just simply add to that, there's a lived experience of and a, and a living testimony of our apologetics. I'm not going to call it... You know, I'm not going to equate it to the apologetics we do in terms of in conversation and in writing, but there is a, a way in which your life has to be in accord with that. And so what I would encourage the people who are in, who are blessed to be in the church out there listening is to use this as an opportunity. Yes, protect yourself and your family, but use this as an opportunity to share the gospel with someone who is suffering. And they can be suffering from panic. They can be perfectly healthy, but they can be in mm -hmm. a panic. And what do you? What can you give that person? You can give them the medicine that their soul requires, which is who is the only source of hope and peace and comfort? Why is it that I can endure this kind of crazy situation, unprecedented in my lifetime, mm -hmm. I think in all three of our lifetimes? Why are we facing it with a biblical equanimity or calm or peace? 
well, that's supernatural. That comes only from God. I would be, you know, and I don't, who knows what kind of an estate I would be without knowing God. So it's, it's an opportunity to love God and keep his commandments. You show your love for God by, by reaching out to these people and by showing them that you care not only for their body, but that the worst thing we could imagine is them dying and their soul perishing everlastingly because they've never heard the gospel or they were never mm. reached in the way that we want them to be reached by God. Amen. Amen. Thanks, gentlemen. I want to I want to leave you guys with a thought on this whole coronavirus thing. I'm just going to read it um, from something I saw online. And it, it's a different spin on this, but it could be our greatest hour. It says, We are not those who shrink back, but we are covered by the most powerful substance in the universe, the blood of Jesus. Praying peace to penetrate everyone in our city today. God is not shocked or panicked. He is our Prince of Peace and the healer of every disease. So with that, I want you guys to think about that and think about what God can be doing providentially through this time and how he might be wanting to use you. So thanks again for listening to the Apologetics.com radio show. We'll see you next Friday at midnight. God bless.